also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Then He begins to pray a prayer for them. And He talks about He heard of their faith and Jesus and their love to all saints. It doesn't necessarily um, mean that some use that to say that this letter was not to the church at Ephesus because Paul already knew of their faith and love. But this can be, as well, there are new people that have won to Christ and that their faith and love is continuing and that Paul has got a report as well, hearing of this church, that their faith is still there. Now, when he left this church, it was a downer, okay? Remember in Miletus in Acts chapter 20, he calls the elders at Ephesus and he left on a sad note. He said, when I go away, grievous wolves are going to enter in. And then he finds his way in prison at Rome. And uh, I think he would be quite delighted to hear that there's still faith and love in Ephesus. Amen. There's still faith and love in Ephesus. And those wolves hasn't got a hold of anything yet. They'll come. But it ha- they haven't made it yet. And he's going to write to them. And he gives thanks for them and prays for them. And verse 17 is his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Wow. Put in those three words of wisdom, revelation, knowledge, all in one sentence. Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is a master at this. Wisdom and revelation, the very spirit of wisdom and revelation. And all of that, not in the knowledge of science, not in the knowledge of, uh, of uh, technical things, not in the knowledge of, of the medical arena, but the knowledge of Christ. And he, the result of this is that their eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. And then that they would know three things. One would be the hope of his calling. Secondly, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in a saint. In verse 19, we will deal with what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Ah, Hallelujah. We say amen to God's word. You may be seated here this morning. Looking at the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. The adoption, providing for us relationship and privilege. Redemption, providing restoration and purpose. Possession, providing value and meaning. And the blessing of confirmation, providing authenticity and assurance. These are the things we shared with you a week ago on a Sunday morning when he talked about us being sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And what a wonderful blessing it is in Christ Jesus that comes to us. And if I could just say a few things before I move on 
to this next uh, blessing that I want to talk about today. I, I, this, is, this is something so needed in our church. It's needed right here in this church. It's needed in every church across America, across the world. And that is that we need so much to have a manifestation of the Spirit of the living God. It needs to be seen that our power does not come from our talent. It does not come from our personality. It does not come from our uh, natural abilities that we possess. That our success and that our power does not come from governmental privileges. It does not come from the uh, societal approval. It doesn't come from great programs or even liberties that we may enjoy in this country. That our great power does not come from economic ability. And though the church may be affluent and the church may, may have economic ability in America and we have financial success, uh, the great and true power of the church is not the power of economics. It is not the power of society or cultural influence. It is not the power of governmental intervention or assistance. It is the power of the Holy Spirit operating. Our power is not natural, it's supernatural. The church does not depend on natural means, it depends on supernatural means. We are have ahead of us a supernatural task and it cannot be accomplished without supernatural power. We face an enemy who has supernatural power. Not above God's power, but he has power more than man's power. The devil has power that is greater than humanity. He is a celestial being that was created higher than mankind in his abilities, in his nature. But we need a power that is greater than that. And I will tell you, this sealing of the Spirit becomes a mark. It becomes the stamp of God's approval. Approval and God's recognition of sonship. So that the real stamp of God's approval is not the church dress code, it's not the church's moral standard, although that's going to be there. It is not the church's personality, it's not how nice the church is, it's not how loving they are, it's not how kind and gentle and how benevolent and generous that they are. The stamp of God's mark upon us is the presence. The guidance, the influence, the direction, the leadership, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our life. So that we are a people that are not led by human reasoning. We are not led by merely human faculties. We are not a people that are led by science. We are not here to be led by what the natural world deems is necessary. We are led by the one who inhabits us. We are led by the one who brought us us into the kingdom of God. We are led by the third person of the Trinity, the same one that led our Lord Jesus Christ has become our divine director. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you that we are a people who do hear from the spiritual realm. We're not quacks. We're not magicians. We're not genies. We're not witches. We're not any kind of folks that have lost our mind. We recognize as an unseen God. We recognize 
recognize there's an unseen power and that we are not distant from that power, but we are working in cooperation with that very unseen God. And he really does touch us. Oh, hallelujah. He really does illuminate us. He really does talk to us. He really does lead and direct our steps. We are not in any way divorcing ourselves from the Bible. It is the Bible that's illuminated to us. It's the Bible we preach. It's the Bible that we follow. But all of that energized and illuminated by the Holy Spirit of heaven. What should our church be known for? It might be good that people say, those are the nicest folks over there, but if that's all they can say about us, you can find that in a social club. Oh, those folks down there, they really care for people, and they'll pay your light bill for you. They'll give you a free meal. Oh, my, do you know how they have helped the poor of our city? There may be well and good in, in some of that, but if that's all they can say about us, there are liberal institutions that are doing the same. There are soup kitchens out there that are doing the same. <laughs> I tell you what I'd like for them to say about us. Every time I go in that church, I feel my sinfulness. Every time I get in that church, I feel conviction. I feel the presence of God. There's one thing about those folks. They're more than average. There's more to them than what you see. There's more to them than what's on the pew. When they sing, oh, they don't sing with the great talent of the world, but their singing moves me. When they preach, they may not be the great orators, but I feel a conviction in my heart that grips me because that's the stamp. That's the stamp. That's the seal that God has placed upon us. And let him do it again that you and I are noted for the presence of God in our midst. What makes an authentic church is not what the world deems as authentic. I'm telling you what makes us an authentic church is the manifestation of God's presence among us that brings conviction, that brings deliverance, and that edifies the body of Jesus Christ. If folks come here and can't find deliverance, we are a pathetic church. If folks come here and sin and can't find a way out of sin, we are of no value to them. If they come here and all we can offer them is self-help, we've done nothing better than the quacks and the psychiatrists of this world. We've got to offer more than that. We can tell them, hey, we're saved and we know we're saved. We're delivered and we know we're delivered. We're sons of God and we know we're sons of God. How do you know that? How can you really be sure? I tell you, hey, you can be sure. You can know the guilt is gone. You can know the burden has been lifted. But I tell you, God will do more than just a one-time witness. He'll do more than the spirit bearing in witness in our hearts that we are the sons of God. He'll do more than bringing to you and coming to you as the spirit of adoption. He will come to you as the Holy Spirit of promise. He will come to you and in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You will not just know you're saved. My, you'll feel the power of that salvation. You'll just not have the witness that you're a son of God within. There'll be the stamp without that you live and act and walk like a child of God. 
We need God to authenticate the church again. I, there's so much, and I, I'm not going to tarry here real long, but I feel a little liberty just to share a few things. I found it necessary in this church under the unction of the Spirit and the guiding of the Spirit and, and my own heart and observations and concerns as a pastor that I have to return to the subject of the Pentecostal experience. That multifaceted experience that is defined and expressed in Scripture by many terms. It is known as having rivers of living water flowing out of your belly, John chapter 7. John the Baptist spoke of it in the Gospels and said he would baptize you in the Holy Ghost. If you can't be baptized in water and not know it, you can't be baptized in the Holy Ghost and not know it. I guarantee you, buddy, if I take you to the river or a pool or whatever and I dunk you in that water, you won't have to ask anybody if you got baptized, all right? You'll know it yourself. You'll have the evidence on you. You'll be seen as wet. And they'll know. You look at them and the water's dripping off of you. They say, I just got baptized in water. They say, well, I can see that. Yeah, you got something for sure. Oh, how much more when you're dunked and when you're inundated, when you are plunged into the person of the Holy Spirit of God. You're going to come out and he's going to be dripping all over you. Hallelujah. The presence of God flowing out of you as rivers of living water baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's called receiving the Spirit. Salvation is receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Holy Ghost baptism is receiving the Spirit as the empower, as the agent of God who is going to direct and lead our life. It is embracing the deity of the Spirit. It is embracing the work of the Spirit. It is embracing His testimony of Jesus Christ. All of that. When you receive the Spirit, it is not talking about uh, the Spirit residing in your life as a Christian. When you are saved, uh, the Spirit comes uh, and takes up residence in your life. Uh, you cannot be saved uh, and not have the Spirit of God dwelling in your house. Uh, the moment you are saved, you become the house of God. The moment you're saved, you become a son. Uh, the moment you're saved, uh, the Holy Spirit is residing uh, and abiding in your vessel. He dwells there as the Spirit of adoption. He dwells there as the Spirit of Christ. Christ. He dwells there having convicted you that Jesus is Messiah. Having convinced you that you should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But when I receive the Spirit, you see I receive Christ, the gift given from the Father to the world. But when I receive the Spirit, I receive this as a gift from Christ unto the believer and is sent to us from the Father and from the Son. And when I receive the Spirit, it is not that He comes and resides. He's already resided. 
fighting. But he now will fill the house. He has been there in his presence. He is witnessed of Christ. He has testified in your heart that you are a child of God and that you belong to God. But now there comes a mighty confirmation. And it's not a mere feeling within. It's a stamp that flows on the inside and the outside. And you become sealed by the Spirit of God. That your life now becomes marked. That you become a spiritual man. Oh, yes, because you are now guided by the spiritual and not the carnal. You are not led merely by your humanistic reasoning. You're not led merely by commentaries and dictionaries. You're led by the illumination of the Holy Ghost of heaven who not only dwells in your house, but he fills it up. Hallelujah. He can sit in the room of the house and a light can shine out the window. But when he fills the house, it's flowing out every door. It's flowing out every crack. It's shining out every window. It's going out the chimney. It's going out through the basement. It fills every place in the life. Everybody knows the difference between having a drink of alcohol and being filled with alcohol. It's one thing to take a drink. It's another thing to be drunk. When it comes to alcohol, you don't need any of it. When it comes to the spirit and salvation in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you've taken a drink in the spirit. But on the day of Pentecost, they were accused of being drunk on the spirit. You've now become saturated. You've been filled with this influence. A drunk man cannot be drunk and it not be evidenced. We were on the, uh, just the other day at a gas station early in the morning. We hours of the morning going to help our brother. And uh, as we were there, this man just come out in behind the pump. And uh, uh, Brother Emery was standing there and he was putting fuel in the truck. And he said, he, the man saw our trailer. He just looked at it. And then he took right off and just smacked right in the side of it. Just ran his car right in the side of it. He apologized. He's sorry. And Brother Emery said, I looked in his eyes. I mean, he didn't have to get, he didn't get close enough to smell his breath. He said, I looked in his eyes. I could see the redness. I could see the redness of his face. And of course, the way he's talking. And obviously, his decision making isn't too hot right now. And uh, his vision may be a little bit blurred. And, I, and that man, he, he went over and he got out of the way and he looked like he called someone to come and pick him up. This is my point. There was evidence. He'd had more than a beer, all right? He'd had more. He was doing things. His decisions was being affected by it. His vision is being affected. His conversation is being affected. His judgments are being affected by it. And he's struggling with it. And now he's got to call somebody else because he's under the influence of alcohol. Oh, I wonder to church could be said. That church down everything they do is affected by the Holy Ghost. They depend on the Holy Ghost. They pray in the Holy Ghost. They walk in the Holy Ghost. They sing in the Holy Ghost. They serve in the Holy Ghost. They preach in the Holy Ghost. They work in the Holy Ghost. Everything they do is in the Holy Ghost. Every decision is influenced by the Spirit of the living God. Glory to the Lamb of God. We're drunk on our social media. We're drunk on our technology. We're drunk on our economic affluence. We're drunk on the things of this world. How would it God would let us drink again that we could get drunk on the glories of heaven and the spirit of the living God that would flow in our lives? Hallelujah. 
trying to say it. I've studied it. I've experienced it. I've said it as many times. At times I've said it very forcefully to the point you may have felt ashamed. There are folks that have not been filled with the Spirit may just feel like preacher Woods is just beating up on them. It is not that he is meant to beat up. It is that this is a spiritual blessing from heavenly places. And it is not something that's like a chocolate bar that you can live with or without. It's the very empowerment of the church. It's the very source of life. It's the very identity and marking stamp that is to be placed upon the church of Jesus Christ. And then there are times I have brought it forth, I believe, as gentle as I know how, as a dove, that I can make it in wooing, inviting, imploring, beseeching, and and to to call people, hey, you need this blessing. And, and, And sometimes it may anger you, sometimes it may frustrate you, but we keep coming back to this. We keep coming back to this point that I cannot compromise and I cannot change. Oh, sir, I cannot deny that heritage that produced us. This church was not birthed out of some kind of organizational meeting that said, you know what, we're just kind of tired of of how others do things and we just want to have our own mark and have our own place. This church was birthed out of the move of the Spirit of God. I'm going to tell you, I got saved and I know what it was when God filled me that very night with the Holy Ghost. This isn't something I dreamed up. I remember here been three, maybe two, three or more years ago that a young man walked back in this door. I think he thinks he was God's gift to the world and God sent him to correct all the Pentecostals from, you know, the last century I guess. And he walked in that door and we were ending a service and the Spirit of God all of a sudden moved on me just to worship and pray and I began to speak in tongues. There was no need for interpretation because I was not addressing the church. People were worshiping and praying and I just began and I didn't interpret. There was no interpretation. I was speaking to God in worship and in prayer and uh, and this man all of a sudden speaks out in this church and says hey, where's the interpretation? Where's the interpretation? I knew. I knew when he walked in he didn't have the right spirit but then I knew what he wanted and where he was at and as calmly as we could we just directed him, sir, you know I'll answer your questions. I'll deal with you. Brother Gary got a little bit more uptight and, and at first at first I got a little uptight with Gary. I'll just have to tell you that. And I thought, my, brother, I don't think we had to do all that. And then after a while, I got to thinking about that thing. I thought, no, we all should have run him out of here. Yeah, we all should have said, hey, bud, because number one, he didn't want truth. We proved that in my office afterwards. We brought him in. We sat down, and, and then, you know, he started bringing out these little picture, little scriptures out of 1 Corinthians and this and the interpretation. I looked at him. I said, sir, I know every argument you've got, all right? I've read them all, buddy. I've been down that road. I know what they are. I said, do you have an interest in really discussing this? I'm not going to sit here and you interrupt me and me, you, and us go back and forth. Do you really want to know truth? Do you really want to know what it's about? No, he didn't want to know that. I said, then we're wasting each other's time, all right? You just want to take your stuff and head out because I've got no interest in that. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, what audacity, what brazenness, sir. I can tell you before you were ever born, there were folks trapsizing the hills of North Carolina and Tennessee. There were folks across this country who were hungry for God, who were anointed with the Holy Ghost, and God was 
was reaching the world and touching the world through them. There were folks in Mexico. There were folks in China. There were folks all over the world in England and across this continent and other continents who were crying out to God and the Holy Ghost was moving and they speak in tongues, bud. And I don't know whether you like it or not, but Acts 2 said they spoke in tongues and there was no interpretation that was given. I'm not here to defend all that, but I'm here to tell you something. This thing wasn't born yesterday. It wasn't born just some kind of little charismatic movement. The charismatics were a branch, not the root. The root goes back to Acts chapter 2. The root goes back to a prayer meeting and a worship service at the temple of God and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that fell from heaven. The root goes back to Samaria where they spoke in tongues. It goes back to the house where Saul got filled. It goes back to Ephesus where Paul laid hands on them and they got filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't need to deal with you. Go back and deal with those folks in Azusa Street. You'll go back and raise Paul from the dead and see what he's got to say about it, bud. Your argument ain't with me. You're arguing something that was come along long before you. Johnny, come lately, come along and think, I got this thing together. I'm God's gift to go rebuke the Pentecostals. Hey, buddy, they were doing work and seeing souls saved before you were ever in diapers. I'm telling you, I didn't birth it. I got the blessing. I joined it, and I thank God for it today. I don't know how to say it, but it's an inescapable fact that if you read that book, it's there. We sing so much about John saying, Behold the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He did. Beautiful. Say it. Say it. Repeat it over and over. But don't be afraid to say that other part. And when he comes, he shall baptize you. In the Holy Ghost. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Oh, glory to God. I'm telling you, it's somewhere that's a keynote mark of the ministry of Jesus Christ. We say, oh, that happens when you get saved. Oh, yes, what? You just had to tell somebody what happened to them. They didn't know they were filled. You had to tell them they were filled. Oh, you got filled when you got saved. Oh, really? Well, here I had it and didn't know it. Are you serious? Come on, buddy. Let me tell you, they knew what they had on the day of Pentecost. They didn't have to ask the crowd what was going on. The crowd asked them what was going on and they had an answer. 
They had an answer. They had an answer. This is that. This is that. Glory to the Lamb of God. We get all worried. We get all bent out of shape. Well, Brother Woods, what about those folks down there? They don't speak in tongues and they don't believe in it, but they live so good. And they, they, they're such good people. They believe the deity and the resurrection. They believe in all this, but they don't believe in the speaking in tongues. What about them? Is that the question we need to ask? Here's my question. What about you? I don't know what they believe. I don't know what they've been taught. I wasn't there when they got saved. I don't know what all their theology is. And quite frankly, they're not sitting in the church that I preach. If they were, they'd have a different one, all right? But I can tell you what I want to know, sir, is what about you? You've been sitting in this church. I'm just going to use you for an example. You grew up, all right, in this church. What about you? You've seen people shout. Your mama's been filled with the Holy Ghost, sir. Your daddy speaks in tongues. Hello? Come on now. You know that preacher that you've worked with and has treated you right and loved you. He speaks in tongues. You know that brother Cottle. You know that brother John. You know these are men that love God. What about them? Glory to the Lamb of God. What about them? Oh, you say, I don't know. And what about you? Where do you stand? I tell you, somewhere we got to take a vote. Somewhere we got to stand up and say, I know where I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I want this blessing. I want this blessing. I want this blessing. Hallelujah.
Yeah. Glory. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory. But if, but if you must have an answer, if your mind is so agitated, I'll give you one among many. I'll give you one reason that church doesn't believe in that speaking in tongues. And it's what you just witnessed. They can control choirs. They can control laser lights. They can control smoke off a stage. They can control a speaker and move him this way. They can dictate the order of the service. But you will not control the Holy Ghost. You won't lock him in a box. You won't nail him down. You won't say you got to do it this way. They don't want a service that's beyond their ability to control it. I say, God, have your way and let your people rejoice in the blessing of the Holy Ghost. Anybody, anybody can hook a corpse up to electrical wires, push the button, stimulate the arm, and it'll jerk up. You can put openers on the eyelids and hit the button and they'll open. But when you shut down the machine where you've still just got a corpse... 
But when you've got something that's alive, <laughs> he doesn't need an electrical stimuli from without. He's got something going on within. Oh, come on. When the only way you can move an audience is that you've got to get something that can create some kind of electrical atmosphere. You've got a bunch of corpses hooked up to wires that want entertainment. And I'm telling you, when you just drop the word, when you just say a few words, when you just mention the name, all of a sudden, folks, come alive. All of a sudden, there's movement in the pew. There's a hand raised up. It's not a response. It's not a response to some mechanical stimuli. It is an absolute response unto the life that lives and fills the vessel. We are people of the Spirit of God. We've been sealed by the Spirit. You do it, God, you do it. Lord, fill us up, fill us up, fill us up, oh Lord, fill us up.
Jesus wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Jesus wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. That is his will for your life. He died to make it possible. He went to the Father to make the petition. And he sits there with the granted request, ready to open up his hand and pour out his spirit upon his sons and daughters, upon the servants and upon the handmaids, upon the old men and the young men. He is ready to pour out his spirit. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how long you've been saved. I haven't counted the years. But I know God keeps moving us back here. We go for a while and we dig, but we keep coming back here. We got new converts in this place this morning. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If you have been bought by the blood of Jesus, if you know your sins are under the blood, then I can tell you right now, God wants to fill you. Yah as a provision. God will sanctify. God will make you holy. God, does anybody believe in this house? Is there anybody that says, I want that Pentecost. I want that Pentecost again. I implore you this morning. I feel an unction that I did not know it would go this way, but I feel an unction right here today. God's fixing to take this church higher. Is there any reason we can't all be filled with the Spirit? It's time to hang up your hang-ups. Okay. Brother Woods, I got this question and I got that question. I'm wondering about this and I'm wondering about that. I'm going to tell you something. There's an answer for every question. And if there is indeed an inward struggle, if there is indeed in the searching for truth that you are lacking an element and your heart is for truth, that question can be easily answered, but I surmise that that's probably not the difficulty. Help me, Lord, right here. There's a witness all around you in this house this morning. I never told you to stand. I never asked you to lift your hands. We didn't get some talented singer. No smoke is rolling from the stage. No laser lights. We haven't pumped up an atmosphere. What's, what are you feeling in your heart right now? I'm going to ask you when the Holy Ghost is moving, did you feel a tug? Did you feel anything in you that answered to that and says, I need that? That tug didn't come from the devil. That tug wasn't just some human spirit. That's called the Holy Ghost. It's been witnessing to you and testifying to you. 
and has been so patient and loving and caring. You're the child of God, and God wants you full today. And can I tell you, if we've ever needed a church full of the Holy Ghost, it's in this hour. If we've ever needed the guidance of the Holy Ghost, we've ever needed prayers ignited by the Spirit, it's now. If we've ever needed anointed preaching, it's now. If we've ever needed a laying on of hands anointed, it's now. Oh, by the words, I've seen those that are, and I don't agree with everything in their life. Are you kidding me? That's an excuse, and you know it. Why don't you get filled and show them how it's done? I don't know the questions. I don't know, but I know the answer. And I can tell you, there's a whole pile of theology that can be answered in a few split seconds of submission. I'm going to ask you this. Did the Bible say Jesus came to baptize you in the Holy Ghost? Did the Bible say and ask that, have you received it since you believed? Has the Bible not distinguished between those two experiences over and over again? Did Jesus not say, it is expedient for you that I go away? If I go away, not away, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will send him unto you. Did he not say that? Now is not the time for you to be depressed. Oh, Brother Woods, I've went to that altar and I've come back and I've gotten nowhere. I've raised my hand. I did everything you said and I got nowhere. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not the Holy Ghost imparter. All right? I'm not the Holy Ghost baptizer. But I know this. It doesn't come by frustration. It comes by faith. It doesn't come by giving up. It comes by digging in. It didn't come by making excuses. It comes by dispelling the doubts. It doesn't come by accusing others. It comes by loving God. It doesn't come through a disobedient, critical spirit. It comes by a submissive heart that says, I want to love Jesus. It doesn't come by a man who's half-hearted. It comes when there's a thirst that said, I need more. I need more.